It's Thursday, April 19th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 482 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name is Chad. All right, so let's get down to it, because if we don't, I'm just going to tangent all night long. Like I've already been doing pre-recording. Yeah, was it almost ten now? Yeah, come on. You're going to tangent all night long, but now you're going to tangent while recording. <laughs> yes. All right. No, I'm not. So what we're going to talk about is prologue games, not prolapse games, not prolapse <laughs> games. That's what Brodor is playing right now while he's not on Fear of the Boot. I visited Brodor at the store on uh, one the of the one? Saturdays. Yeah. Okay. And he gave me the kind of the tour around the building. I bought a few games. I was really impressed by the tables they have set up for gaming. Now, I'm not one of these guys that got like, impressed. How do you get impressed by a table? I mean, like. That's exactly it. I'm not one of these guys that's normally impressed by tables. I didn't need, like, the Sultan or any of those. Nobody big ones. needs the Sultan. But Nobody's the table, getting the Sultan. They're out of business. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the tables they have set up in the game? I've not been there yet. I, I refuse okay. to go in there because I'm so enraged that they took Brodor away from us <laughs> that I can only go if I bring a Ouija board with me to terrorize him. <laughs> so the tables are really cool. They have, in the gaming area, they have these tables set up. They're set up size wise for all of the any like the competitive play. So there's so measurements things. Four there. by fours, four by s- Well, they can be extended, s- shrunk, and things like okay. that. They have play mats that you put over that have things like grids and, and that. Okay. They have some terrain built in that they can put down on these. they they have slider things that go around the edge the for like drink holders. Okay. So you slide the drink holder in, pop it down, you've got a drink holder there. All right. For some of their big tables, they went to Ikea and bought these telescoping legs so they can be raised and lowered so people can either sit around them or stand for, like, miniatures games. Or kneel under them. Or kneel under them, because it was high enough you could have. Yeah, okay. I mean, that is, Brodor's there for bro jobs, so. (laughs) 20 bucks is 20 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. But it was really cool. The play mats were, you could flip them over. They have different things on different sides for, like, terrain just as, just kind of as a backdrop kind of thing. And I said for some of them, they had hard plastic terrain that looks like a, like a dungeon. I was really impressed by the tables. I haven't seen some of these tables that are made just for gaming, and that's what these were. They have some they bought just for it, and then they have some that they modified themselves to make use right, of the so area I'm, I'm gonna link to his new store's location stuff and they also have a facebook page i'll link to that in the show notes because if you're in the st louis area or near the st louis area i hope you'll stop by and visit which i still haven't done yet but still i guess it'd be all right i bought and a game that it, i'm so excited about but no one will ever want to play it with me planet of the apes the board game pass next only if it has the psychic humans uh, it's based on the first movie. Okay. Well, all right. So pass. Yeah. So, or, or unless I can put like an XCOM squad out of time, that's just there <laughs> to, you know, squad based annihilate the apes. But the other thing I was going to say is for anyone that's visiting St. Louis for fear of the con, this would be a great game shop to go to prior to or after the convention. And so I'll link that in the show notes. They now, have three bathrooms. Now I know Nor. That's something you don't really joke about, but. When it comes to like a game shop like that, where you've got all of these people drinking Mountain Dew and yeah. tables of gaming, yeah, well, they're bathrooms they're, get to be backed up. They have three bathrooms in the store. 
I don't know why they have three bathrooms, but they have three bathrooms. Well, at the fantasy shop where we worked before, they had one, and it was wallpapered with comics, and I'm not going to lie. The one time I used it, I spent an inordinately long time in there. I peed and was done in like 30 mm-hmm. seconds, but then I started reading the walls and like <laughs> wondering about the context of the pages I was reading. It was a very, it was a very poor choice. If you're trying to get people in and out of the bathroom, I mean, like I understand you need some kind of decoration to break things up, but this was a poor choice. So you said they have tables that hold snacks. They actually sell snacks there. Yeah, there's snacks for sale there too. It's not like there's sex for sale there. <laughs> yeah, bro job. There are there are snacks for sale there too. Okay, I, I'm fine with there being sex for sale there. I just <laughs> all right. We just don't want to we don't want to tell people about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You find about that when you get there. Hmm. That's not something I want to be surprised with. Well, and it's only Broder that's if it's, if it's, it's only Broder that's selling it. If it's something that I want, which I don't, then I would want to know ahead of time. <laughs> If it's something that I don't want, which I don't, I want to know ahead of time. <laughs> okay, Brodor works there. So, yes. Do the math So now backwards. I know ahead yes. of time. Yeah, all right. So speaking of doing the math backwards, topic for today is prologue games. Now, this is not something that has been a part of our gaming practice really ever. And this is not something that we did that I can remember until a lark on the first skies of glass campaign. And if you're following that AP in the one that we released, the session zero stuff, we've always been a huge fan of session zero, which is your group template work. I'm a big believer in make characters together because otherwise you don't realize mechanically how you interlink or in terms of the direction you're taking the character. I've had so many issues with people that bring a character to a game for decades, I've been a fan of we make characters together. But, I mean, since Fear of the Boot episode, what, two? I think was where we got the group template. We have espoused the importance of session zero work. But this prologue game is something that we just did, as I said, on a lark. With- we had two people we'd never gamed with that had no idea of a system. Well, yeah, and I also thought it would kind of be interesting... To just sort of rewind things and do a dip into the past. And it ended up working out so well that someone, I believe it was Eric, specifically requested that we do it again in the second Skies of Glass campaign. I remember the conversation when you first suggested it for the first one. I had no idea how it was going to work. We've never done anything like this. You specifically said... If this goes haywire, if this goes off the rails, then it's just not in continuity. And it was just something we tried to get used to the characters and the systems. We did, You didn't even know as a GM going in if it was going to work. I don't know. I mean, you said that, Dan, but was it true? Because there was a lot of things going on in that game that were very relevant to the story, even if we didn't detect that. I treated it seriously. Hmm. All right. I'm going to use a really weird metaphor so here. Why don't, you tell, well, why don't we just real quick, what happened? Okay. So what happened, for anyone who's not following the Skies of Glass AP, what happened was the game took place at what we'll just call year X. All right. So this game took place at a certain year. There was Magneto and Professor X. Yes, exactly. That, that's precisely what occurred. And I elected to run a game that took place 
five years earlier that would take place prior to the main campaign start. And in that session, everyone would play a younger version of themselves who were in this shared history that we had established in the group template. So in the group template, we'd established everyone had been working for a guy named Pops on a riverboat for this many years. So we're going to take a slice of life from what was occurring in that time period. Chad, your character would not show back up with the group until later, because at that point in history, you were still working for a different group in the St. Louis city proper. And so you would not have been present. And so because you and I have been gaming a long time and I trust you to handle things right, I gave you a ride up on Pops and said, okay, here's the gist of his personality. Here's the gist of what I need you to accomplish. But within that, take some creative license, take some freedom. And you did. You you played within my boundaries. So if you think it's like a highway, there were, you know, four lanes going this direction. And I, you could drive in whatever lane you wanted and, you know, waffle around a bit, but just stay between the yellow lines that, that mark the edges. And you did that. Yeah. And you, you got accomplished what I needed accomplished, but took some freedom in there. And the things that I gave you specifically to accomplish was that the group had to be taken off the boat. Mm-hmm. The boat was going to be destroyed and Pops was supposed to have met up with a set of bandits that were going to help him make all of this go down. Now, you didn't stay totally on that, which is okay, because I gave you some freedom not to. And there's some things that occurred I still can't tell, Mm -hmm. because the group still doesn't know they occurred. But what I can say is that you pulled the trigger early, Mm -hmm. that an opportunity popped up for Pops to lose the boat, a opportunity, a opportunity, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for him to lose his life before the raiders he was supposed to be working with actually showed up, mm-hmm. and so you got things moving a little bit faster than I expected, and you also gave pops a few spins on things that I didn't expect. For example, before he died, he divvied up his possessions one to each of the party members based on their personality and the meaning that pops assigned to each of those items. And some were gifts, some were warnings. They had meaning Mm -hmm. that maybe the group appreciated. Maybe they didn't. I'm not entirely sure. And I guess we'll see how that plays out in the future of these campaigns. But we had this plot arc take place. And I remember when we talked about it beforehand too, None of us could come up with a good way that the boat had sunk hmm. because that was you said that was one of your motivations for this as well was because we couldn't tell you how the boat sunk. We're just, you were going to make a show you how the boat sunk. Yeah. And then that's what happened. So when we, I sat down to do this, here's my crazy metaphor. Hmm. When I was dating, I never dated casually. I always dated with marriage in mind. Every date I went on with a girl, from the first to the end of the relationship, it was a dry run to see, is this a person that I can spend the rest of my life with? Now, that doesn't mean that I rushed things. That doesn't mean that I moved, you know, really fast, because I understood that things needed to be slow and to take time, and you had to learn who somebody was. But I never had a relationship that I knew 
was intentionally just a transient thing. The moment I thought that was the case, it was time to break off. And I approached this game the exact same way, that I'm going to treat this as if it is the first sitting, albeit a prologue five years earlier, of this campaign. And if it doesn't work out, well, we're not married. We can still break things up, and it's pretty easy. Really easy, because by the way, Missouri does not have common law marriage. But we can end this and move on. But I'm going to approach this and prepare for this as if it is a meaningful part of the rest of the campaign. And so I looked at my what's really going on document to get an idea of what are the major plot arcs I want to deal with in this campaign. What are the things I want to foreshadow? What are the things I want to set up for later in the campaign? What are some of the plot hooks players have given me that I might be able to tie in or have make a little peek out from behind the curtains this early in things and then come back to on game one, which takes place five years later. But if it flops, I can either discard it or I can say, you know what? Five years have passed. A lot of things have changed. Mm -hmm. And I've got five years to explain why things are not where they appeared to end at the end of that prologue game. But to answer your question, I did approach it as if it had permanence, whether it was going to or not, because it's real easy to erase permanence. It's real easy to say that didn't count mulligan, my bad, five years of retcon, whatever it is I have to do. But if I put no effort into that campaign, there's no way, or that that sitting rather, there's no way to go back and give it that. Right. When we went to the second leg of the campaign, Uh I believe it was Eric. I thought it was Wayne, but I've also been... You also said it was me. Yeah, I've said it was everybody, so... (laughs) (laughs) I know it wasn't me. Chad doesn't remember it it being him, which doesn't mean it wasn't him. Right, Right. and it definitely wasn't me. And I thought it was Eric, so we're going to go with Eric and give him the credit. Sure, why not? It's that or Fear Gone. So he specifically requested... Eric or Feargun? We'll go with Eric for now. For now. Eric requested that we specifically do a session that is a prologue just like we did before. I thought about that for a minute. And I wish Eric was on tonight. I actually invited him to be on tonight. But he came up with some really... Well, it was some paper-thin lie about his daughter. (laughs) I, I didn't buy it. I even sent him a Simpsons quote where the dentist is demanding how often somebody flosses. And, well, and he lives in another state that's not really really a real state no, anyway. It's and, not. And he's already coming over to see us once this week. Yeah, so. and so, yeah, he just had to come up with some BS lie. And he's actually at a drag show tonight. And, you know, whatever, Eric, it's cool. We wouldn't have judged, but, you know. We don't judge on this side of the river. Yeah. To your face. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear why he wanted it. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember the conversation. So I'm going to put words into his mouth because he's not here. Go ahead. He specifically said. That's what he said. (laughs) He specifically said that what he thought he got out of that session was a group cohesion and a shared history that was more than what was just on paper. That he felt like the characters were closer because we did that. And then we let our characters age, progress, and grow and it helped inform who our characters were but we had that to reference throughout the rest of the campaign we kept referencing that mm-hmm. history of five years ago 
what we put on paper as our our shared common bonds isn't as strong as actually playing out that shared common bond. Yeah, and as I was putting down my thoughts on this topic, I came up with five things. I'm going to admit there's some overlap between these five things. But I came up with five general points that I think describe, at least for me, what the value of a prologue game is. Now, I don't know if this is something like a session zero or the group template that is now part of having an FTB 9000 compliant game. Hmm. I don't know if I feel that strongly about it yet. As time plays out and I try this in more campaigns, maybe I will. But as a year and now, I can only tell you what its situational value appears to be. Yes. But after Thursday, when we try this for the second time, right. we may come back and say, nope, yeah. <laughs> nope. First time with a fluke. All right. So five things. Now, one of them, Wayne, is what you just mentioned, which is on paper with the group template. One of the things that we've always suggested is to describe some kind of a shared history between the player characters. Random strangers meet up in a bar and have to go out adventuring together, especially in a higher RP game, always creates a total shit show because they never quite agree. They just have to go along with each other because they all have a metaphysical player character stamp floating above their heads. It makes it to where you cannot ask the question of, why are we friends? And when you suddenly make people not think about that or not ask that question, what's the first thing they do? They suddenly start thinking about that question and asking yeah. that question. Or they just start floating apart. Yeah. And so what this does is this takes that established history and it now actually makes it real. You've not just written it out. You have now actually played it out. This is not just something that the characters have experienced. The players have experienced it. And so that emotional buy-in, Wayne, to use your phrase, it moves from the paper. It's no longer on paper. This is something that actually occurred between the players. And there is that real shared experience and emotional buy-in and that common reference point. Because let's be honest, that's what a lot of socialization is. You walk into somebody that you know from work and they're standing around a grocery store. What's the first thing you talk about? work because it's what you have in common you start at a point of shared social reference and i think the same thing is true in an rpg having that moment gives you something to fall back upon and so that's point one i would say is it establishes early history or plot between the characters and actually makes it real to the players point two is it can also identify issues if you've got a problem with Two of the player characters won't get along, or there's a problem with the plot, or there's a problem with the feel, or there's a problem where somebody just doesn't like their character now that they've had a chance to try him or her out. Yeah, especially if somebody's playing something extreme, like, I'm playing the big dumb brick. He's a half-orc berserker, and he knows three words, but man, he can lay down the damage. Well, when it comes time to play him, that's just not very compelling or interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've had the idea before of, wouldn't it be interesting to play a mute character? Mm -hmm. No, that's not. But it. <laughs> I don't think it actually would be good. No, I think it would be horrible. Yeah. Something like that. You try out and something like this, you realize, nope, that yeah. was really boring. To yeah, just describe my character does this. My character does that. But not actually. Because like the half orc berserker knows three words or the mute character. Those are great characters on paper. But when to hijack Dan's not very used 
term anymore when the rubber hits the road it's more of a burden than yeah. anything else and this prologue allows you to play it well so to tangent off of this a little bit to ask a question here what do you do you you, you do this prologue game you know we're playing gronk the half-orc berserker who's totally mute and the player is like Okay, that was great, guys. Established everything. Everyone's cohesion good. Pot's good. Yeah, we can know we're going for that. That's awesome. High fives. And they raise their hand like, uh, my character sucks a fat one. I want to make a new character. So you, what do you do? You've got, you've got two options there. <laughs> you say tough buttercup. Whoa, hold, hold <laughs> no, on. I think I think from my perspective, you have two options. That depends on the character and what's wrong with it. Right. If the problem is that it's a mute character and that's not something fixable. Mm-hmm. And then you let them create a new character. The player still has that shared connection, even if mm-hmm. the new character doesn't. But if the problem is a personality one or something like that, and you're doing a prologue set, in this case, five years in the past, people change a lot over five years. Yeah. You discovered you wanted that with your character. You realize you don't. Okay. Why did the character change from that to what you now want it to be? Yeah. Gronk, the half orc barbarian who only knows three words in the prologue for the next five years. He maybe got a little bit of education. You change a couple of stats, right? You make him not yep. quite as strong. Give him a little bit more intelligence. Now he can actually speak to people. Yeah, and in a world with magic, it's a lot easier to do that. Yeah. Well, and that's the two things I came up with. So you're, you're skipping over one point here to my points four and five, which is what this game allows you to do is one of two things. One, you can call flat mulligan. This entire concept doesn't work. The group doesn't work. The game doesn't work. The setting doesn't work. This whole thing is fatally flawed. We need to kill it and try again. And because of the fact that you're only one game in, eh, you've not as invested, right? right? I mean, you knew coming into it that was part of it. You had this chance to start over. The second thing, this is, was my point five, is it gives you an opportunity to realign. So let's say you're playing a mute character and you like the character in general, it's just the mute part isn't working. Mm-hmm. Or let's say it's a mechanical issue. You're playing a character class that just doesn't actually play the way you thought it did or doesn't have the powers you thought it did. Well, having this prologue gives you time to change that. If you're playing a mute character, well, there's multiple reasons you could be mute. If it's psychiatric, you got some kind of help or had a personal epiphany. If it's something more physiological or medical, Well, in five years, you found somebody that could treat it. You found a doctor doing experimental procedures or space medicine or someone that was willing to cast a spell on you. I mean, or cook to taste. Or we just hand wave it. We, as long as it wasn't a major part of the plot and isn't going to break anything, be like, okay, guys, the mute thing isn't working. Let's just pretend that wasn't a thing and he could talk yeah it was fixed in the last five years but we don't need to talk about how right. or why. never mention this again yeah well and, and i mean i suppose you could do this with games at any point in continuity he wasn't mute he just had a cue ball stuck in his mouth <laughs> but but because there's that break i think it makes it a little easier to psychologically palette things being different you know i, I mean once again you could have a campaign that starts on Game one, no prologue, and go straight through continuity. And five games in, I would still advise you can realize something's broken and mulligan it or realign it or whatever you need to do. But I think it does make it more palatable at the metagame level to the players to say, okay, we went into that knowing it was a dry run 
and this didn't work. So I can more easily swallow this one thing being different. The way I would put it is it's a lot less of a break to immersion if the change happened over five years versus I went to bed one night, my character woke up, and now he can speak. Mm-hmm. For the case, it was Chad's character. It would do a lot less to break my immersion if it happened over five years versus overnight that his character changed. So, I mean, both for, for both the player and the other players, for the people that really get into the immersion aspect of the game, and it's something I really, I want that immersion myself. Mm-hmm. Something like the overnight change does hurt immersion, but five years? Yeah. Yeah. People change. Yeah. You know what? One of the, this wasn't on my list, but as you guys were talking, you know, one of the great things about this is from a game mastering standpoint, and it's actually got me thinking about prose writing, is when you put a break in prose writing, you don't have to explain what happened between. Now, you have to account for it in the continuity, but you don't have to explain for it. So if you have a chapter and then that chapter ends and at the start of chapter two, it picks up somewhere a bit farther down the road. So chapter one ends with they set off on a journey. Chapter two begins with they arrived. Now you presuppose between chapter one and two that that travel occurred, but you don't actually have to work through that step by step in the narrative, especially if there's nothing interesting, or maybe you don't want to spell out how exactly that went down. And this is something that I've used in my prose writing, whether it's a chapter break or in the case of a short story, you know, you put the nice little five asterisks or something just to note that there's a section break there and you pick up the story in a slightly different place. Now with the upcoming skies of glass campaign, it's going to take place on earth and we're going to try to focus more on rural areas that have a lot of scarcity, but where does it start? Well, we're talking about starting it on one of the most advanced places in existence. One of the space stations, which as you guys were working out your characters is apparently a lot bigger than I thought because <laughs> I was originally thinking, you know, bigger than the international space station, but not star dock sized. And now you guys are describing societies and sub societies and prisons. Yeah. So suddenly it's like, wow, this thing's like a good half mile across and which is fine. But the point being that I can start you guys there. This game ends with you guys fleeing that for earth. And what happens between, right? What the transition is like of you guys are like, wow, this is great. We're in space. Holy crap. Now we're in an irradiated wasteland. You guys don't have to play that out. Right. One of the things that we've had going in our Facebook group, it was this tangent discussion to an April Fool's joke. But the joke was that there was somebody claiming to sell a, a DNA test that would tell you your D&D character sheet for 100 bucks and... It was kind of silly. I actually would have done it if it wasn't 100 bucks in April Fool's prank. But the point being, one of the things we got to talking about is playing yourself in a role-playing game, which I think is probably an episode unto itself. But one of the hardest things I've always had in terms of playing myself in a role-playing game is that transition from reality to fiction. So I'm here in 2018 in my house, and now I'm in Narnia. How does Dan react to suddenly waking up in Narnia? My problem with it is I hate self-inserts in books. You will, right. And it could be, I don't disagree. Yeah, and literal yeah. and conceptual ones. So, like... But if, if you said to me, Dan, you've been in Narnia for the past three years, what's your life like now? 
I could describe for you how I would set myself up there. You know, you could give me some parameters of, well, this is what you can and can't do. And I could figure that out a whole lot easier than I could play the self-insertion. Well, I also go into when it comes to character changing. I've talked a lot about how I'd like to run a zombie game where I would want to do the starting game being when the outbreak happens, use some map building or society building game to obscure that next year and then start it after that. Because that period, I don't want to play out. The fun part of the story is how do the characters react to that instant first moment? But the struggle for a year to get set up to the society that will then take place of the game, I don't want to play that out. That's not uh, let's take, that's not as much fun of a struggle. Let's take one of the best zombie games or stories I've seen, at least in my opinion, which was Last of Us. They play the night that the outbreak occurs. All right, you Mushroom go, zombies. You go through that, and then... The game stops, and I don't worry, was it 20 years pass? I mean, it's something something ridiculous. This enormous amount of time passes. God, I miss coffee. And (laughs) you are now in the post-apocalyptic society. How we got from A to B, and how Joel, the main character, processes all of that, and all that kind of stuff, which is really awkward and really tedious and really difficult to write plausibly. It just doesn't have to be dealt with. It's just right. skipped over. And in the case of somebody else telling a story, you can call it lazy writing. But when you're having to tell that story, you don't want to expose yourself to that work and that embarrassment. I mm-hmm. think depending on the campaign you're running, that could be another reason to do a prequel game. If the time period between when an event happens and when you want to run the game is not interesting to you to run, yeah, that is... because. It is a lot of fun to be in that moment of, here's how I'm reacting to what just happened. The zombie outbreak, the aliens showing up and bombing things. But the actual fun campaigns after that. Yeah. I think that could be another really good reason to do one of these prequel games is explore that moment, but not have to play through all of that intermediate that you don't want to run. Yeah. Well, especially depending on what that intermediate is, you could even see characters out of action. Six Shadow Run is an example. If you start off prior to the moment of awakening, but the main game is going to take place afterward, do you really want to deal with one of your characters having to go through? Oh my god, I'm an L. Oh my god. Well, no, those are born, but like the the orcs and and trolls are goblinized. Yeah. So they're the ones that actually go through. Oh my god, I'm an orc. I'm metamorphosizing for weeks or months or however long it takes. Oh my god, Dan, you're an orc. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be a really compelling five games. Can we get to the good stuff? Yeah, can we get to the point thereafter where. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Do I really want to go through eight games of Wayne coming out as an orc? <laughs> I mean, Wayne coming out as an orc. As an orc, literally, yeah. Coming out of his cocoon Cooter, or whatever, yeah. silly. I don't know what, what the current iteration is of this, but at least in second edition, that was about how it worked. All right, so going back to my points of why I think this is good. One Are we of the, on number 17 yet? No, actually, this is backing up to three. Oh, my God. Yeah, I tangent Okay, Brodor. <laughs> Work through your list, man. <laughs> Which is, it gives you a great opportunity to find your voice. Mm-hmm. It gives the player characters an opportunity to find the voice of their characters. There are a lot of people that have complained that they don't really understand the personality of their character until they've played it. Brodor, in fact, complained about this because he said he didn't get Songbird 
until about the time that campaign was wrapping up. Well, think of it this and, way. That, that, I believe, is very common. It's something that I experienced. It takes a game or two to really find the voice to kind of get going on a character and, and like it and, and see how I want to do it and such. Well, and part of that for me is the other characters at the table, too, and the dynamic. Yeah. I can tell you what I think the character is going in, but the moment I'm playing off of Chad or Eric or someone else, that character may shift in my mind in that session. Well, here's one of the issues that I run into a lot is I don't know how my character plays. I don't know how I'm going to play. I don't know how I'm going to play off of other people. I need a game or two to kind of get going. The first game of a session is, is if the characters are already set up that they know each other, the GM kind of wants to get into the important plot. The dragon kidnaps a princess or the princess kidnaps a dragon. You know, they, they want to establish that they want to establish the main stuff. And, Part of role-playing is interacting with that, influencing it, being influenced by that. Important good stuff that I'm not really equipped yet to play out in yeah. game one. Now, a prologue game could be argued that it, it should be taken as seriously. It's just as important. But I'm going to put out there that a prologue game isn't as important as the other games. It can establish interesting stuff, but... Everybody at the table knows that there's going to be a jump. There can be changes, things that are hints and hooks now for the GM. Sure. Might not actually be that and, you know, stuff like that. I think the potential value of a prologue game is it's like a really terrible friend. It's an enabler. <laughs> it's not per se that it is the good game, but it enables mm -hmm. or potentially enables right. the good game. And just as the players are trying to find their voice, so is the game master. The game master is trying to understand what motivates the party, what kind of tone works for them, what kind of plot points they're latching on to, even the silly in-jokes that they're picking mm -hmm. up on. For example, Pops' endless... Popisms. <laughs> Popisms, yeah, all of his sayings, which I never put in there, and mm -hmm. you guys just kind of invented, and I ran with that. And so it gives the game master a chance to really see what makes this game tick, but once again, because of that break... Just like Pops always said, staring at the sun lets an idiot see the light. <laughs> but because that break is in there, as the Game Master, I don't have to keep that. You know, I can have this hard stop and then reconnect with the game farther down the line and say, okay, well, now that I kind of know what makes you guys tick, I have a better idea of what kind of plot angles and NPCs and whatever I can bring into game one because I already have a feel for what motivates you guys. I already have a feel for some in-jokes I can crack or some NPCs you're going to be interested in. In fact, that's one of the things that could come out of this game mm -hmm. is we could find NPCs that are on the space station that you guys bring along with you, and all of a sudden, bam, there's an NPC for the main game. Uh, you guys sort of did that with Lillian and Sonia Marshall, the two sisters, uh, in the prior campaign where one ended up dying, but the amount of emotional connection that was there made bringing in someone that was intentionally reminiscent of her an obvious pick for me as a game master. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't, I mean, maybe something like that won't come out of this game. I don't know. But I'm just saying this is what I saw it representing and why I understand that Eric requested one. It's going to be very interesting to see. Last time, we didn't know what to expect out of it. 
This time we go in having done this before. Well, that, is there a danger in that? Do we have the potential of too much expectation? Yes. That we want this game to be too many things? I have no expectations. I'm just pleased every time. Hmm. It's a great approach for sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great approach for a lot of things. <laughs> but I know you don't do it with restaurants. Uh, no. No. So, Dan, let me ask you this. Are you planning on doing anything, quote-unquote, weird with the prologue this time? Like, last time, I think the, the weird part was that I did not play my character because he didn't fit in that timeline, and I played another character. Not only did I play a character you gave me that was integral to the plot, but you also gave me goals and you gamified it so that every goal I hit benefited the party in... The actual game. Yes. Are you going to do, maybe not that, are you going to do something weird like that? Yes. I will tell you this much, because I, I, of course, can't spoil this, because this game Mm -hmm. has yet to occur. Right. But there are two things I intend to do. One that is more informational or plot-oriented, and one that could potentially have in-game effects, meaning how well your party is off Mm -hmm. that was a jumbled sentence but it does work at the start of the first game so the bonuses that you guys get to start the game and the plot thing is you guys are starting on the same space station that the rat man at alia were on one thing you never got from them is why they left that space station what motivated them to do the things that they were doing because we're going to escape prison and blow the station up (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and maybe i I mean i i've got some thoughts on what you guys are going to discover. And then the question is, what do you guys try to get in terms of information or equipment before you leave kind of writing that line? And I have to keep the fire to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't let you guys get away with too much, but what do you prioritize? And I will tell you now that what you prioritize will not only tell me things about your motivation as individuals and as a party, but will also impact how the game plays out with one big thing in particular that I can't tell you what it is because it would be a huge spoiler. Sure. But the answer is yes. I absolutely intend to try some things Mm. because I think if I, as a game master were to approach a prologue game purely as a passive consumer, and I think I need to, to a certain extent because otherwise I'm not hearing you guys. I'm not learning what motivates you and how you guys operate as a party and all that kind of stuff. If I just start you with guns at your head and whatever, what do I really learn about you as player characters? And what do you learn about your own characters? And the answer is probably not much. But if I don't attempt to accomplish anything, I might as well just have you guys sitting in a tavern together. Right. Well, what was interesting with, because Chad brought up the, him being something different, it wasn't just that he was playing an NPC. You gave him goals to accomplish, and by accomplishing those goals, we as a party got something. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting way to do it. Meta-gamifying the yeah. prologue game. And also, I took that stuff, and we had mentioned earlier, Pops gave each of the players something, and it was meaningful. Some of it was metaphoric, some of it was more literal, and it all meant different stuff, and it was all given for different reasons. None of that was in Dan's stuff. Those were goals I set for myself 
because I wanted to have an impact on each of the players' characters on almost like a game master story level. I wanted to see how far I could take that. Yeah, in this case, do you have anything like that that you are gamifying? The if we hit these check marks that we don't know about in this case because we don't have a character that's being yes, but it's certain. not going to be done by a character in the sense that I, I'm not going to have an NPC that somebody is temporarily taking as PC. It's going to be done much more by a priority system that you're on the station. Various things are going wrong and it's kind of a, how do you guys make the situation work and what you take away from that and what you accomplish during that time is going to absolutely play into your starting situation when we get to the non-prologue game one. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because of the fact that this time it's not another player doing it. I, as a game master, will be running that solo. And so it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And one of the things I love to do, and I intend to do in this game, and it may not be at the major faction level, it might be individuals, you are going to be dealing with people that have different perspectives on things and different goals in mind. Which one of them, if any, do you friend or foe? And why? And how? And how does that play out when you guys make it down to the surface of the earth? And Or does it at all? I mean, maybe it doesn't at all. Maybe you guys just... I don't know, alienate or ignore everybody and stay on your course. And I don't know. I mean, I really don't. And I, I think taking this right back to our original thesis, that lack of knowledge is the point of the prologue game. If it serves a value, which once again, I've not done this enough times to be sold. It does. But if it serves a value, that's where it is. It's in demystifying what the hell this game and this party and this plot what it's about and how it plays out and what it feels like and what the voice is. And so I've got to be careful going into this, not to have too many hard expectations. So for me, when we talk about these, I think of it from a GM standpoint, the idea of this would, it'd make me nervous because when I look at the party, as it's defined, you know, people have, these are the things that they wanted. These are the things they want from their, Mm. their past, the items they want to have with them, the idea of then running that with that as a predestination of getting to that point, that part would make me nervous as a GM. Oh, that's easy. So, okay, so what Wayne's describing, to explain that someone's not following the AP, what Wayne is describing is, I told everyone to make their characters as they will be on the regular game one, so not the prologue. Because in the prologue, they're actually starting off as prisoners. Uh, they and I don't mean prisoners as in the bad guys capture them. I mean these. No, are, we're the bad guys. They're criminals. Yeah. So they are in a penitentiary. Are any of us innocent? I think. I think. The, no. Well, there are some people that are good, but everyone is guilty. We said specifically, you cannot be innocent. Right. You, you called that out. Yeah. yeah. No. I think Eric though didn't actually commit a crime. Well, he did. But it was with good intent. Yeah. I, I we're put this yeah, in D&D yeah, terms. Right. He, he was playing a super chaotic, good character. Yeah. yeah. I smuggled medicine to somebody. Yeah. I stole supplies and gave it to save so someone's life. Everyone's yeah. guilty, but not everyone is evil. I killed a guy. <laughs> the, the thing that... This, I think Brandon killed a guy, too. I think we're both... 
we're yeah, two of he us killed them, somebody on the table on the table because he's a doctor. Yep. Yeah. And I murdered somebody, maybe with a table. And yeah, absolutely with a table, <laughs> a sharpened table. Right. Yeah, that was your shank. <laughs> Nobody noticed you sharpening a table. Well, they don't expect it, yeah. right? <laughs> they were. They thought you were sharpening a toothbrush on the table. Yeah. You're actually sharpening the table with the toothbrush. That's right. <laughs> and so then suddenly you come out with your table shank. All right. So <laughs> the table was actually in a rules book for a role play game that was really, really thick, and you were just bashing them with it. Right. All right. But, but Wayne. So, all right, the players have on their character sheet where they're at at the regular game one, not the prologue. And one of the things that I have the ability to do here is because there is some amount of intervening time, I don't have to explain it all. Here's what I mean. Let's say you have on your character sheet that you have, I don't know, space sensors, whatever. (laughs) And when you leave the space station... My eyes? Sure. And when you leave the space station, you absolutely do not have anything approaching a sensor device in your inventory. (laughs) But what I can do is because there's that intervening time, it's easy to work through. You know, there was another pod that came down from that space station that was launched by mistake. No person in it, but you find that sensor in it. Or maybe it's not from the space station digging through the ruins of pre-bomb society you discovered this or it came from somebody who left the station years before you did who left it behind or died on re-entry or who knows what i mean there's any number of explanations of how your character sheet got from prologue to game one so items are easy to do things like that with sure going back to the first one i would have been nervous running that one because you have the predisposition that the boat has to sink. Yes. You know going into that game, if nothing else happens during the course of this prologue, at the end, this boat sinks. What do you do if we found some way to keep that from happening? You wouldn't have stopped me. (laughs) That was one of my... Okay, well, it's it's a fair question. It's a fair question. You had a ringer in the group helping Mm -hmm. you make that happen. Sure. So that that actually would help a lot with getting it there. Uh, yeah, but it, let's say you didn't have that. Right, right, right. And I, I think I could argue the contingencies that in addition to the ringer in the group, I also mm-hmm. did have multiple NPCs that would have done it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But let's say, for sake of argument, all those contingencies failed. And somehow you guys saved the ship where in a way I as a game master would have to do some really, really terrible metagame cheating to get rid of the boat, all right? I I would have to rob you of your victories. You know, as a person, as a game master, I am absolutely opposed to that. I might make something hard as hell. I might stack the deck against you. But if you win, you win. And to answer the question, I would have figured out a way to make it work, and I would have kept that continuity. I do not think I would have done anything so cheap as said, okay, it's five years, a year and a half later, the boat sinks and pops grounds anyway. Because I think to do that would have been to rob you as players and as player characters of something that you worked hard to get. That would have been the new direction of the game. And I would have found a way to make it work. I I just, as a game master, can't do that. And I think to some extent what this does is it puts you guys under pressure a little bit. Because as the game master, I'm going to bring my intended game. But if you guys fight really, really, really hard to make something go a different direction, you have to understand 
you've changed things. That's the game we're playing now. It was in the group template that the boat had sunk and Pops was gone. This occurred before the prologue. The prologue only explained how it happened. If you guys had done something to save the boat and to save Pops, then I would have been like, all right, I have to roll this. But so do you guys. You guys have just changed the group dynamic. You've changed time itself. You know, Joe is suddenly no longer the captain of the ship. Now, maybe Pops is retired by this point, but that mentor, that sort of default father figure is out there somewhere. And that changed the game. And that's a consequence of what you guys opted to do. In the same way, if we go to play this prologue game and by some miracle, you guys take this in a direction that none of us planned for, I will give that to you. But I think the understanding that you guys will have to have is you have changed what this campaign is about. And I guess I would also add, if we go back to describing all the values of a prologue game, apart from determining character voice, you've just eliminated almost all of them. That now suddenly the dry run on the plot, the dry run on continuity, all these sorts of things you've just erased. And so that's a decision you guys have to make as players. What if I don't want to leave the prison, Wayne? (laughs) (laughs) Three hots and a cot. It's a hard deal to pass up. (laughs) That's the reason why I've never thought about running any sort of prologue game, whether it be a first session or a flashback game or things like that. Because I've always struggled with that as a GM. If I'm writing a story and I want to do a flashback, I control all of the characters and it's really easy to do a flashback. If you're running a game and you do a flashback, your characters will do things you never imagined them doing. Yeah, well, And that makes me nervous. Here's why it works. The players don't know what they don't know. I mean, we think of the prologue that we did in the Skies of Glass game. And we think about all the stuff we did and all the things we saw and all the the failures and all the successes and the victories. And then we put into context, well, what if Pops had lived and what Mm. if the boat hadn't sunk? Except that's not what happened. Yeah. And it's a lot easier in cases like this where a prologue game is before the campaign. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the differences we're dealing with here as well. This is ABC. This entire campaign is actually a prologue. We're leading. We're leading up to the point where our two campaigns join together. I don't say it's a prologue. I would certainly say it's a side story. But I, I think when you hit it with something else, which is the difference between a prologue and a flashback is a prologue. I guess maybe it's not ABC because there's intervening time, but it's A, D, E, F, G. You right. know? So there may be a skip there, but it's still sequential. That's not the same as going D, A, E, F, G. Right. Because if exactly. you do that, you could go D, and then suddenly in the course of A, they move you to some weird location in the alphabet where the next series of events just don't make any sense anymore. They don't work. And short of this prologue of... We escape from prison, we take over the space station, and crash it bodily into St. Louis five years before the events of the first game, thus killing at least one PC, untold numbers of NPCs, both good guys and bad guys, and turning St. Louis into a giant crater. Uh, I, I don't see a problem myself. Yeah, it's just one of those things that would be stuck in my head trying to run it that I would have to overcome. I've got contingencies, 
And I will say that there are, I think Chad put it really well in saying that they're, the players don't know what they don't know. Right. And I will tell you, there are a lot of moving parts. I hate to even tease at this don't point. Don't tease. I'm not we'll going there. to. But I'm just going to say there are a lot of things in play mm-hmm. and a lot of people, a lot of groups in play where even you guys going off the rails a bit, it's a lot more like bumper bowling than you may think. That's not to say you're being railroaded, but it's just to say that there are so many groups trying to manipulate what's going on that... Well, going off the rails in any game is like a Bob Ross painting. It's just happy little accidents. Exactly. You know? and, and I can more easily turn those into happy accidents because of the fact that I have already adapted myself to the idea of what happens if somebody does a brush stroke here and how do you turn a brush stroke into a tree? Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's part of what I've got going into this. And, you know, once again, going back to the other prologue game is if you guys had stopped even what actually occurred, that was not who was supposed to be after the boat and after pops anyway. And so there was another fallback where that could have occurred. There were other things in play. There were other parties at play. You know, there was all kinds of other stuff going on that could have still brought us to the same endpoint, even if the journey there had been very different. So I think we'll go and wrap this one up here. And it will be interesting because it's going to be played out. The prologue that is will be played out about a day or two after this is recorded. So by then we'll know what has actually happened. So if we're wrong, we can just delete yeah. this episode. Yeah, exactly. We can just mull I mean, in this you episode. Know, like, this episode is the flashback. Well, yes. I mean, Wayne, the, the audience recorded first. The audience doesn't know what the audience doesn't know. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, except for the Patreon a- crap. I hate you guys. <laughs> I mean, I love you guys. You're great. Thanks. Anyway, so thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And yeah, we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.